0: continue with our study this morning in the book of Philippians. Um, Paul is the author of this letter and he writes this epistle to the Philippian church to thank them for their gospel partnership and their financial support. In chapter one we have already seen Paul wrote of his own rejoicing in the in the midst of suffering and last week we saw the confidence he had on the basis of his suffering. But today in our passage, Paul reveals the secret of how to rejoice and take confidence in suffering, and it is humility. And through humility, we discover that unity, like-mindedness, and even Christ-likeness all become possible. And these few short verses in the simple letter written to the believers in Philippi, many miles away from Rome, they capture some of the most amazing truths that have ever confronted the, the minds of, of man. And the passage we are looking at today describes the glorification of our of our Lord Jesus. One commentator I read this week says this about the passage. He says, This passage is the Mount Everest among the mountain peaks of Revelation concerning the person of Christ. The amazing story of how the eternal Son of God stepped out of eternity into time and became a man as God intended meant to be. So if you have a copy of your scriptures this morning, please turn to second or Philippians chapter two and we will read from verse one to verse eleven. Although we will be focusing specifically on verse five through eleven this morning. We looked at the first four verses of this passage last week and all of this section verses one to eleven is really one passage um, together. But this is written to be one passage, and we had to read this passage like this, but unfortunately we didn't have enough time to preach all the way from verse 1, so we split it up and we um, made two sermons out of it. So today we will read from verse 1 to 11 and um, study from verse 5 to 11. If you would stand with me, please, this morning, we can read together this passage out of respect to God's Word. Philippians chapter not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask for your help as we come to this passage this morning. There is so much here for us to absorb, to understand, but also to apply. So we pray for your help today that the Spirit would open our ears, He would open our eyes, He would open our hearts today to receive your Word, and we pray that He would be our teacher today. We pray all of this, Lord, for the glory of God the Father. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned earlier, the passage that we have just read is one of the most amazing passages in the whole Bible. We are only we we, we are only in the chapter two, but really we are on holy ground. It appears to be an early hymn. It could have been a poem or even a creed, and perhaps used in ancient liturg- liturgical worship. But it seems to have a have a unified structure, starting with with God in eternity, and ending in the same way, but, but hinging on verse 9. If you think of a, of a V-shape here, really the butterfly effect here, with verse 9 being the, the bottom angle, even death on a cross, and that's what we will look at this morning, and which we will celebrate today in the Lord's Table. This text is doctrinal, but it's also ethical in nature. It emphasizes the stunning humility of Jesus who became a servant and, and died on behalf of sinners to the, to the glory of God. As a result of his resurrection, as a result of his death on the cross, he is now exalted as the, the true king. He is our savior, but he is also a pattern that we see that we are to follow. It really is an amazing passage, and yet I think there is a, a temptation as we study this passage to forget its background, to remove it from the context and to treat it as a, as a systematic theology or a, or a Christology, which we're going to try and avoid today. We must never forget that this passage is, is set against the background of, of two quarreling ladies in the church at Philippi. And that quarrel, Paul has written and addressed Because it was threatening to destroy the unity of this whole church. And the apostle has made it already clear in this letter that the secret of maintaining unity is humility. To live in harmony, we need to learn to die to self and humbly live for others for Jesus' sake. And wherever there is contentiousness, pride is present. Pride in a single individual life, in a family life, in a church always destroys. Pride always divides. It sets one person against another. Pride spreads conflict. Pride breaks up marriages. Pride breaks up partnerships and unions of every type. I found the story a true story of a transcript of a of a radio conversation of a US naval ship with canadian authorities off the coast of newfoundland in october 1995 and here's a conversation starting with americans please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision the canadians answered recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision the americans responded this is the captain of a u.s naval navy ship i say again divert your course The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. Then the Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of the ship. The Canadians responded, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> pride always destroys, doesn't it? It destroys. It's significant that Paul is not using our, our text to combat some heresy or, or a theological error. He is writing about a most practical subject, the dangers of pride and how it can destroy harmony and unity. And to live in harmony, we, must, we need to learn to die to ourselves and, and to humbly live for others for Jesus' sake. And to illustrate this point, Paul sets before us the person of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example, the perfect example of supreme humility. And solid theological understanding about Jesus Christ really is the foundation for how we are to get along with one another. My first point this morning, Paul is saying that, number one, the pattern for humbling ourselves is Jesus Christ. The pattern for humbling ourselves is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 there. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have a King James Version, it says there, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice the word mind that is used there in that verse. It's used four times already in these two chapters. Look back at Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. You can underline that striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at um, chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Underline that. Having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Three times now. And now in verse 5, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We know if something is repeated, it's It's needed for us to pay attention. What is Paul trying to to teach us here? What does this mean? What is the the mind of Christ that we are to have? Well, that phrase, have this mind among yourselves, means to it means to think or direct your mind in a certain way, in a certain direction. Really, the battle is going on in our mind here. And Paul is teaching us today that we need to allow the mind of Christ, as revealed in the gospel, to form and shape us in our relationships with each other. And Paul then goes on to tell us more about the character of Christ in the the following verses. And he's teaching us theology here to change our minds, to brainwash us. And there's nothing wrong with it. We need our minds to be washed with the word of Christ. He says in verse 6, and he traces the descent of our Lord Jesus in this humble obedience to the Father. Look at verse 6. Who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, first of all, we see here Jesus starting at the highest level, at the highest place. And this verse here speaks of Jesus' pre-existence as God, Jesus who is God. And long before Jesus was born at Bethlehem, long before he created the world from All eternity, Jesus shared eternal glory with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always existed as God. He is in very nature God. He is equal to God. You can't start any higher than that. God is God. And yet, and this is the amazing part, He did not Consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that word grasp means to seize something for yourself. Jesus was God, but he did not use his position for his own selfish ambition or for his own selfish advantage. Jesus was God, but he did not use his position for his own advantage. And this corresponds to verse 3 that we saw last week where we read, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, empty conceit. And once again, Jesus is setting the supreme example here where he did not even use his position as God for selfish purposes. He used his position to do what? To serve. To serve. Jesus started at the highest place, and then He travels to the lowest place. Verse 7 says, look there, He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself. And the phrase literally means that He made Himself nothing. He made Himself nothing. He poured Himself out in love for you, for me, in humble obedience, to the Father. He started out at the highest place. He was equal to God with all the rights and the privileges as as God the Creator. He started at the highest place. He was equal, but He made Himself nothing the Scriptures say. He gave up those rights. He gave up those privileges in coming to earth as our Savior. And last week we saw in verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, empty glory. And here we see Jesus, the Son of God, emptying himself, laying aside his glory, giving up his rights and privileges as God. And in verses 7 and 8, we can trace this this step downwards. There's really four steps which we're going to look at in his journey of humble obedience to the Father. In verse 7, number 1, If you're taking notes, he became a servant. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The word servant can be translated as slave, the word doulos. And what is a slave? A slave is someone who has no rights. One of the early Greek writers wrote that whoever is permitted to do whatever he wishes is a free man, and whoever is not is a slave. They have no rights. Jesus took the attitude of a servant. He took the attitude of a slave and he said to the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. We just saw in verse 6 that Jesus is in very nature God. And now we see that he took the nature of a servant. This doesn't mean that he stopped being God, he just added, really, servant to his resume. In taking the nature of a servant, Jesus did not cease being God. But rather, he gave up his rights as God in order to become a servant. In the words of D.A. Carson, Jesus became a nobody. He made himself nothing. He willingly gave up all of his rights and took the very nature of a servant. Jesus demonstrated this in a powerful way at the Last Supper. When he removed his outer clothing got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. And Paul says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, rather than clinging to your own privileges and rights, you should humbly serve each other in love. So that's the first step downward for Jesus was becoming a servant, submitting himself to the Father's will and willingly giving himself in humble service to others. Secondly, back to verse 7. It tells us that he became a man. Look at verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So here we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a human being. In Genesis 1, man was created in the likeness of God, but here we find God being made in the likeness of man. Verse 8 says, he was found in human form. The American Standard Version says, in the appearance of a man. The invisible God became visible for us to see. He took on flesh in full view of all. He became a man. Jesus did not cease being God when he became human. But rather, his glory was veiled in human flesh. He laid aside his glory as God in order to become a human. He was truly God, but at the very same time, he was truly man. Number three, he became obedient to death. So we've seen, number one, Jesus became a servant. Number two, he became a human being. But thirdly, he became obedient to death. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. The word humble that is used there is the same word that we saw last week in verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And To humble yourself means to make yourself low. That's the title of my message this morning, how low you Will you go? How much will you imitate the pattern and the example of Jesus Christ? This verse shows us how low Jesus was willing to go to the point of death. Have you ever been obedient to death? I mean, that's a trick question. If you had, you would never you wouldn't be here because you would be dead, right? We give in to sin far too easily. But Jesus didn't. He was obedient unto death. This doesn't mean Jesus was just obedient up until the moment he died, but that his death was actually part of his obedience. It was necessary for Jesus to die, otherwise there would be no reconciliation with God. There would be no payment that would have been made for our sins. His death, was actually part of his obedience. He was obedient even to God's command to die. And he willingly gave up his life for others. And then fourthly, he suffered the humiliation of the cross. He suffered the humiliation of the cross. Number one, Jesus became a servant. Number two, he became a human being. Number three, he became obedient to the point of death. And finally, he suffered the humiliation of the cross. Go back to verse 8. Being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross, that is important. It is an important distinction. It wasn't just an ordinary death. It wasn't a natural death. It was a very specific death at the hands of cruel Roman soldiers, dying on the cross was the most painful and humiliating death of all. Today we have fashionable crosses as jewelry. We wear fashionable shirts with, with the, the symbol of a cross. But the cross in Jesus' day was not, a, was not a piece of jewelry. It wasn't a decoration. People shuddered at the thought of a cross. The word itself was avoided in polite conversation. The Romans hated those who who died on the cross. The Jews considered them cursed. There was a a stigma to the cross in those days. Caesario called the cross a most cruel and disgusting punishment. To die on the cross was the most shameful, cruel, and despised death Of all. But for Jesus, it was even worse because it was on the cross that Jesus suffered the wrath of God. He paid in full the penalty for our sins. This was the final downward step for Jesus. The lowest rung of the ladder. Jesus was obedient to death, even To the death on a cross. And notice the cross was Jesus' destination all along. He knew he was going there, he planned to go there. It wasn't a surprise. All the other steps down the ladder were simply necessary to get to this point, to get to the cross. The cross was the heart of Jesus' mission, the cross is the heart of the very gospel. Apart from Jesus' death for us on the cross, there would be no salvation. Apart from Jesus' death for us on the cross, there would be no hope of eternal life. Jesus had traveled from the highest place right down to the lowest place. There was no place lower the Son of God could go than the death on the cross. He is the only man who ever lived who didn't have to die. He was sinless. He said so himself. I lay down my life of myself and I take it again. Jesus wasn't killed. He laid down his life. And though he was nailed on a cross, and although he gave himself up to death, he never had to die. He voluntarily gave up his life. No one could take his life. And it tells us here in this passage, he became obedient. Remember this passage, folks, when you're talking with your friends about the death of Christ, he became obedient unto death. Underline that passage so you know where to go to show them this amazing truth. Even when Jesus was born, he knew this is where he would end up. His whole life, he lived under this shadow, he was misunderstood. He was opposed by his loved ones all the days of his, of his childhood. He lived under the constant insinuation that he was an illegitimate child. And when he came to the end of his ministry, he was deserted by his friends. He was betrayed by his, his own disciples. He was handed over to spitting and mocking and to the terrible Roman scourging. And the crowning indignity of all came when he was stripped naked and he was nailed to this cross. To die as a a common criminal. To die as an outcast of society. As Paul said, to die on this cross. Remember that Paul writes to his friends at Philippi. Remember that when you feel tempted to assert yourself or you feel tempted to withdraw from others, or you feel tempted to break the bonds of fellowship and and unity, remember what Christ did for you. Remember that with humility comes the willingness to bear injury, to put up with insults, to accept the cost of another's wrongdoing. And This is the place to which the Lord Jesus came. And the startling thing is that the lowest place to which he came is the place for you and I to begin. This is where we need to begin. The death on the cross is where we belong. The place to which he came. I read a story of a well-known preacher who came to a town where he knew a lot of Christians with whom he had met before and he had enjoyed wonderful fellowship with. But he noticed that one man who had previously been active in the church, wasn't there. And he asked about him, and he was told, oh, this man, he got on his high horse about something, and he won't come anymore. They said they tried to talk with him and persuade him to come back. And they admitted where they thought they were wrong, and they asked for forgiveness, but he still wouldn't come back to church. And they said they thought he was just a stubborn old mule. And the preacher said, Well, I'll see what I can do. And he went to visit this man's house, and as he came up the front steps and he knocked on the door, he heard the back door slam. And in a moment, the lady of the house came to the door, and she greeted the preacher warmly and invited him in. And he asked, Is your husband in? And she looked sad but said, No, he is not right now. And the preacher said, Oh, I hope he'll be back. I'm just in town for a little while, and I did so want to have fellowship with him. Well, she said, I think I know where he is. I'll send one of the children. Maybe they can find him. One of the children went out the back door, and sure enough, the, they found him outside, and he, he brought him back in, and he greeted the preacher a little distant, but still fairly warm. And then they sat down, and they, and they talked about what was happening. And finally, the preacher said, Now I understand there is some difficulty between you and the others at the church. And I've come to see if I can possibly be of any help. And the man's face clouded and he said angrily, Well, you don't understand, preacher. You don't understand the situation at all. They are completely opposed to do what is right. And I'm not going to stand for it. I want my rights. And the preacher said, Well, brother, before we talk further, let's read some scripture. And so he turned to the second chapter of Philippians and he read, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he read the description that Paul just gave us of the willingness of our Lord to leave all that was his by his right as God in order to take on the form of a human being, to humble himself to take all the indignity, to take all the pain and all the heartache of human sin to the point of the cross where he would die. And when they finished, the man sat there with his hands over his face. And after prayer, he remained that way. And finally, one hand came down then the other and he said, Oh, preacher, I've been a stubborn old mule. And the preacher said, Well, that's exactly what they told me you were. And since you both agreed, you should have no trouble getting together. And sure enough, they did humble themselves in order to serve each other. Now, what did this man do? He let the mind of Christ show through in his life. He gave up insisting on his rights, and he may have been right. He acknowledged the accusations of the others. He acknowledged their forgiveness. He acknowledged their repentance. He took the pain and the indignity and there was immediate harmony as a result. There was reconciliation as a result. Now, I'm not preaching to anybody here today that I know of that are going through any quarrels. Maybe you are. Maybe there's some problems that are going on, maybe even in your marriage. But this message is not intended to simply stimulate our intellect. It's not meant to move our emotions to thank God for, for His grace towards us, but to have the practical effect among us as it did with the Philippian church, as I hope it will, with, as, as with the Philippian church. If you have a quarrel with somebody and your temptation is to withdraw or to break off fellowship and to stop talking with them, then remember Philippians chapter 2. Remember the exhortation of the Spirit to all of us this morning. Let this mind be in you, which you have in Christ Jesus. Which you have in Christ Jesus. It's not something you even need to develop. It's something you need to exercise. It's something you need to allow to rule you because you have it. It is in you. Humble yourself. Give up the rights that you think you have by remembering Jesus' death on the cross. My second point really does follow these first, these first four steps. and We see the pattern for being exalted by God is Jesus Christ. We see in verse 9. Look there in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. we see in His humiliation, but now we see His his exaltation. Notice in the first part of verse 9, the change of subject here. God exalted Him to the highest place. Jesus humbled Himself, as we saw, But here God is doing the exalting. God is doing the exalting. The journey down was all the things that Jesus did. But the journey back up is all the things that God the Father did. Jesus humbled himself. God exalted him. It is always this way with humility, isn't it? We have a choice. We have a choice. You can do the humbling and you can let God do the vindicating. Let God do the exalting. Or you can do the exalting and let God do the humbling. Pride comes before a fall, right? Jesus humbled himself and he let God do the exalting. Notice secondly, in the second part of verse 9, God gave him the name that is above every other name. Our Lord Jesus was given in his resurrection and ascension that name which is above every other name that has ever been given in heaven and on earth. And what is that name? Every every Jew reading this letter would know immediately what Paul was referring to that name. That name is Yahweh. In the old Hebrew Bible, it's written Y-H-W-H. We're the ones who've added in the vowels, but we call it in our English, Jehovah. That is the word Yahweh that is mentioned here, the name that God gave himself. In our Bible, it's translated as capital L-O-R-D in our English versions of the the New Testament. That is exactly what Paul says of him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, his Lord. But notice thirdly in verse 10, it teaches us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul is quoting scripture here. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23 where God says before me every knee will bow by me every tongue will swear and not just Paul says every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth this means that all personal beings everywhere he's talking not just about humans here He's talking about angels. He's talking about demons. He's talking about those who are living, those who are dead. All these beings will one day submit to Christ, bowing before His sovereignty and confessing Him as Lord. Think about all the people that have died, all those terrible dictators. Think about Hitler. Think about Stalin, Osama Bin Laden. And every other evil dictator will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That doesn't mean that they're going to go to heaven. That doesn't mean that it will be saved. The word confess here simply means to acknowledge something openly. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved at the end of time. The Bible doesn't teach universal salvation. It doesn't. But rather, everyone will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Again, D.A. Carson, he writes, There will not be universal salvation. There will be universal confession as to who Jesus is. That means that either we repent and confess Him by faith as Lord now, or we will confess Him in shame and terror on the last day. But regardless, confess him we will to confess Jesus as lord in the first century meant that caesar was not lord and as a result of such confessions people were people were persecuted they were killed for saying that caesar was not lord for saying that Jesus was lord and the same fate exists for many today around the world who claim Jesus as their lord and their savior But those who confess Christ as Lord now will not regret it when they see Him later. And contrastingly, those who refuse to bow to Him now will wish they had. In short, you can bow before Jesus now or you can bow later in a place called hell. But one day, everyone will bow before Him and confess Him as Lord. Nearly 100 years ago, Charles Spurgeon wrote the following. He said, I cannot conceive it possible for anyone truly to receive Christ as Savior and yet not receive Him as Lord. One of the first instincts of a redeemed soul is to fall at the feet of the Savior and gratefully and adoringly to cry, Blessed Master, bought with Thy precious blood, I own that I am Thine. Thine only, Thine holy, Thine forever. Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? A man who is really saved by grace does not need to be told that he is under solemn obligations to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that. Instead of regarding it as a burden, he gladly surrenders himself, body, soul and spirit, to the Lord who has redeemed him, reckoning this to be his reasonable Service. So take a moment now to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in your life. It is only your reasonable service to do so. Everyone will acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. As we conclude this morning, let me leave you with three. Application points. Number one, there is no task too small to do for Jesus. When you choose the path of humble obedience as Jesus, as Jesus did, no task is beneath you to do out of love for Jesus and your neighbor. We are called to serve each other in love, we are called to live in harmony. In order to do that, we need to die to ourselves and we need to humbly live for others for Jesus' sake. We have a wonderful opportunity during these summer holidays, especially while the home groups are, are, are stopped for a while, to invite people to our homes for a dinner, to invite people to our homes for coffee, to get together with people and to serve them and to use hospitality as a means of grace to build up the body of Christ. I encourage you to do that. I challenge you to do that this summer. Number two, there is no obedience too difficult that God requires. Can I say that again? There is no obedience too difficult that God requires. Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. With Jesus as our example, there is no obedience too difficult that God requires. Hold on, Pastor, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand how difficult it is for me to live with my spouse. You don't know how difficult it is with my family. How does God expect me to to do this? Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Along with the command, God will give you the strength to obey. He will give you the strength to obey. There is no obedience too difficult that God would require from you. Number three, there is no reward so sweet as that which God gives. Jesus humbled himself. God does the exalting. Jesus showed the ultimate obedience and he received the ultimate reward from God himself. And we can't outgive God. We need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and the Bible says he will lift us up. Jesus is the supreme example of humble obedience because he started from the very highest place and he journeyed to the very lowest place. No one has ever traveled further than Jesus on this road to humility because no one has ever started as high or went as low as Jesus did. And God calls all of us today to have the same attitude as Christ did. God calls you to step out of your comfort zone. God calls you to let go of your your rights. And God expects you to humbly serve each other Out of obedience to God, there is no task too small to do for Jesus. There is no obedience too difficult that God requires. And there is no reward so sweet as that which God gives. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to be obedient as you have shown us here in your word by remembering the pattern that you have set before us. Even as we partake, Lord, now of your table, help us to remember what you have done for us. Help us to remember the humility that has been shown on your part, that has been lived on your part to the point of death. And help us to remember the exaltation that came as a result of that. Lord, thank you for being willing to die for us, not just to give us an example, Lord, to follow, but to provide a way for us to have the forgiveness of our sins and to have eternal life and to have fellowship with God the Father. Lord, help us not to take this fellowship for granted, we pray. Thank you for the bonds of peace that we have through through the Savior Jesus Christ and the bonds that we have of fellowship with each other. Help us not to take that for granted. Because of what Jesus has done, Lord, we get to enjoy this unity. We get to enjoy this harmony. Help us to protect this, Lord, by dying to ourselves to the glory of God the Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.